Network. Connected. MIDI session. Running. MIDI show control. Confirmed. DMX interface. Connected. Light control. Confirmed. Ethernet. Active. Audio interface. Active and engaged. Arduino unit. In range. Bluetooth remote pair. Connected. OSC IP. Active. We're ready. Start the queue. It's the show about control. Featuring Andy Dolph, Joshua Langman, Dave Mickey, and Mark Neiser. It's the queue. Welcome to the queue. My name is Mark Neiser, and I'm joined tonight by Joshua Langman. Hello. And Andy Dahl. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and welcome aboard, as always. Today, we're joined by Mick Poole, a Tony Award winner for Best Sound Design in a Play for the Broadway production of The 39 Steps. Mick's involvement in theater sound extends over 36 years. Mick Poole is a frequent poster to the QLab forums and a mentor to many of us. He has recently published an online book, called The QLab Cookbook Adventures in QLab Programming, which I have been drinking in on my iPad, sitting in my living room, pretending I'm having a conversation with my family. <laughs> it's so beautiful to put out like a coffee table book that I can just poke around in and see all the great ideas you have. Where do these ideas come from? Uh, there are A lot of them are things that I've just done in response uh, on the uh, Google group when people have been stuck on things or have wanted to do things that are slightly out of uh, the ordinary. The Emojimation, uh, which is the animation just using Apple emojis, just did in the afternoon when I was looking after my new granddaughter, and uh, just to amuse her, but uh, it's quite a good programming exercise for ends of terms and uh, uh, and things like that, really. But uh, and 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 a few of them uh, are things that I've developed for my own shows. So, Mick, what prompted you to go ahead and build a website? Well, actually, I mean, I've had uh, blogs on. Uh, on the web since about 1995 I think was my first uh, sound design blog which I think in those days was called uh, uh, Mixed Theatre Sound Page or something but then became the Oral Imagination and that was text-based sites that uh, some of the articles are still up on my other website I think there's still a few uh, colleges that actually uh, refer to those from time to time. The actual uh, impetus for actually doing this uh, site was really from Chris uh, Ashworth at Figure 53, who said when I was sort of contributing these suggestions that, uh, for people's problems that they come up with on the Google group, he said, oh, it'd be great to collect all these together on a page uh, on the Figure 53 site. And so you know, that carried on for a few months. And then I thought, well, actually, it's much more important that uh, you know, Chris gets on and irons out you know, the few last remaining things in three and hopefully goes on to create QLab 4 and everything else. I had some time this year because uh, a lot of the work I'm doing this year is actually repeats and revivals, which means I have to be sort of around and on call, but uh, the, the, the bulk of the work has been done. So, so I just had uh, a considerable amount of extra time this year. So I thought, well, I'll, uh, I'll just get on and do it myself. I have to say it took all my self-control not to stop everything I was working on and start playing with this imagey thing. Yes, it's quite fun, isn't it? Oh my gosh. It has to, you know, to make a story out of it and have characters and all come to life, all in QLab, uh, I just really wanted to make a full story out of it. Yeah, it's a video that doesn't require any resources outside QLab either. So, that you know, the actual thing for you know the four minute film or whatever it is it's like a 230k file because it doesn't actually have any video resources it's only using uh, fonts that are already on your computer the voices could all be from apple's own voices built into the computer so each character yeah, could be a take it as far as you like yeah right can the car go the other direction or does it have to back up you can do anything you like with it. it will you flip. could flip it because you geometry. Could, yeah, you could flip the uh, text there and have the uh, ambulance. You know, it doesn't have to back out of the driveway then. 
<laughs> yeah, but it doesn't have to be that story. I mean, you can create uh, create any story you want, really. Made me just giggle. That's why I put it first, because, uh, you know, like one of the other things about the, the, the cookbook is that I wanted to put a bit of distance between it and, uh, you know, like the sort of dry code of the wiki and, uh, you know, like a, a, a programming textbook. And so, uh, like, I, I wanted it to be quite eccentric. So I just put that example first because it's probably the, the one with the least practical applications, but it's actually the most fun to play with. Uh, do you have a programming background? Uh, not really. I've, I've sort of dabbled in I mean, I had something that, I mean, it was MIDI only, but 1995, I had uh, something that looked, apart from the fact that it was in you know, the sort of Mac System 7 or, or whatever it was in those days, it had quite a similar format to QLab insofar as it was you know on, on screen with columns uh, there was a bar across it which was actually the thing that would play when you press the space bar but that was uh, for triggering samplers when we used to do sort of sequencer and sampler type shows and that was all done in hypercard I love hypercard using uh, there's an extension to it called hypermidi which uh, had all the hooks you needed to uh, be able to do midi things with it I was using that up right up to 2002 I still had stuff in that started doing video uh, a lot of the larger projects were being done in uh, catalyst like media server programs but some of the projects I was doing like we couldn't afford to go to full catalyst system so I'd adapted uh, Macromedia Director was doing a, a lot of programming within that to actually create theatre video designs. So sort of moving to QLab was sort of natural extension really to use the scripting within that to extend it. I mean, that's one of the great things about QLab is that it's it gives a, a really good set of tools that you can do almost any sort of show straight out of the box. But if you do have a special requirement, then normally it only takes about sort of three hours to come up with something that will customise the programme for your needs for that particular show. What is your motivation for help? us. I mean, you'll give us, I'll post some cryptic, crazy question after I'm frustrated after a show, three sentence, half a sentence, and you will come back with four pages of actually useful information. Why? Why are you doing this? Well, I think it's two things, really, is that it's more fun than doing a crossword puzzle. <laughs> like, you know, if someone's got a problem, then I don't know, I sort of generally see the solution very quickly. And then I think, oh, that sounds too easy. And then I, you know, I, I just go and try it out. Also, I like being distracted. Like, you know, if I'm, I'm sat in the studio rather a lot. But I think the important thing about, uh, about it as well is, I mean, I finished my formal studies in 1977. And in those days, we were on reel-to-reel tape recorders, obviously analog desks, uh, I mean, you know, digital just didn't really exist in those days outside of a few specialist German studios and everything I've learned since then has really been through uh, forums and uh, through you know tapping the brains of other people and you know p- particularly since we've had online communities I- I'm, I've learned a lot through those and similarly when when I started uh, using QLab and uh, you know getting into the scripting I'm mean, uh, Rich Walsh who's uh, authored so much of the stuff that's actually on the wiki in terms of the code i mean he helped me enormously with that so so i think it's uh you know it's a community you're in and part of and i think a lot of people in the theater sound world and the theater video world do do sort of share this because because you know that's where we get our information from and you never see the results of your help but it, we are here yeah, um, the other thing is that uh, I'm actually uh, quite a conservative programmer when I'm actually doing the shows, uh, and uh, I mean I've, I've actually was probably one of the last people to move from uh, QLab two to QLab three actually in the field. I mean I've had it on you know had it on the computer from 
day one that was available. The more you try different things out, then the more you are completely confident in using it in quite complex shows, and you know what it what it's likely to do and what's an unrealistic expectation for it to do. I mean, there's some stuff that I haven't put on the uh, cookbook yet, but there's uh, I've got some real time stuff with the. Uh, like four quad auto panners uh, running off a lemur, manipulating all the faders in real time to achieve that and can't really do it. The QLab interface is really designed for programming rather than for uh, real-time manipulation of the faders using OSC and things. But I, I know exactly how far you can go down the road and I think in later versions of it there may well be more uh, real-time features. Yeah, I love the real-time thing. I had an issue with my Duet Apogee sounding terrible because I'd reduced the cache down to reduce latency. Yeah. Once I did that, the whole microphone just started to break up and sound terrible because mm. it couldn't handle the the fact that stuff wasn't being cached. So I had to just increase that again. These two robins, I don't, I don't know if they're robins, but I don't think they they're, yes. they're going to be able to fly wearing wireless microphones. <laughs> Is that? Uh, do you feel bad that you're maybe hurting birds? Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite ones because uh, one's called Robin and the other one, his understudy is called Brian. <laughs> on the tape now that actually comes from a Christmas card I did for a production of The Secret Garden which you know the story has a robin which uh, breezes in and uh, the the robin was actually a puppet uh, and I I think we had an iPod shuffle on it or something with a switch I I made that as the first night card Uh, for that so I just uh, extended that with Brian when I was trying to find an image for the understudies so the thing with these images although they make the whole thing look a bit uh, sort of coffee table-ish is that if you've got a strong image, then it's something that people can associate with the bits of code or something. And if they think, oh, where did I see that? Oh, yeah, it was, it was the Robins or it was the red telephone or, or whatever. And uh, it reinforces that in the, in the way that in you know, the early days of desktop publishing, you know, there'd always be those rather strange cartoons that were quite often badly drawn by whoever was, was writing the code in the textbook or something. Mm-hmm. So, so I, th- I think having you know, just a visual handle as a navigation tool uh, helps people sort of bookmark the whole thing, and particularly on a on a on a site like this where there isn't really any attempt to have things in a logical order or, or things. That, that it's it's just something. So you you, know, you see a picture and think, oh, that might be interesting, and then uh, all the articles open with a video that pretty much shows you what what you're getting in uh, in the tin. Mm-hmm. And so you have a look at that and you think, oh yeah, that's something that I could uh, use for my stuff, or that's of no interest to me. And then if you like what you see in the video then it explains how it does it and you can download the workspace and have a delve into it and then just cut and paste what you like out of it into into your own work. I think the site is very well organized and very graphically witty, uh, which Mm. I I certainly appreciate. I wanted to ask you, do uh, any of these bits of codes come from shows that you've designed or are they all from requests uh, on the forum? No, they're from uh, things I've designed. I mean, I have used the title thing, uh, certainly the OSC hotkeys. I have a page of uh, script in my template, which uh, has all the hotkeys that I use. Certainly plugins on right, yeah. s- sm- yeah. smaller shows. Uh, I'm like, you know, most of my shows uh, have, will have, a, you know, at the very least, a sort of uh, Yamaha 01V96 or something like that, or DM1000. For, for shows that only have like two mic cues or something with a bit of reverb or a specific effect or something, then uh, I've used those quite extensively. Well, obviously, the telephone ring, well, I, I did. Yeah, that, uh, that I did. one's enormously useful. 
Yeah, I mean, like that comes from, uh, I think, an original idea by John Leonard, who's another veteran British sound designer. I think Rich put the method up, and then uh, because I had those telephone rings, I did a big number one tour of a Dial M for Murder. So the, the really good English telephone bell on that is my recording that was the basis for all the bells in that piece. Can you can just uh, for the people that aren't don't know the telephone ring? Can you just give us a little synopsis of what that is, see if they haven't seen it? Yeah, the thing with the telephone ring is that depending where you pick it up, when you do the cue, you want it to do one of two things: is that if uh, the phone is ringing, you want it to stop and to immediately play the uh, decay portion. But if it has uh, if it stopped ringing and you're in the decay, then you just want the decay to play through right the way to the end. So the trick with that is, is is that you track the phone ring with something that uh, switches the cue that's going to take place uh, when the actor picks up the phone. So it knows where it is in the phone and it knows which of those two actions to do. How many cues does it take to accomplish that? Maybe about a dozen lines in a cue lab? Yeah, cut and paste and then there's uh, just two two values to uh, change to match whatever uh, phone ring of whatever country that you're, you're you're doing you know the moment of brilliance for me was the watch i looked at it and i was like okay yeah you made a watch it, uh, you know animation great until i looked at the code looking for this mass amount of complicated code to make this thing happen and it's uh, what is it? Twenty lines of Apple Script. That's it. Yeah, and a lot, a, a lot of that's uh, uh, just doing uh, fussy things. Really, I'm like basically all it does is is that it drives the hands to match your system clock, and and then it it does the rotation, just using the the, the normal Q Lab geometry commands. That's just not something you would accidentally stumble into. That idea. I mean, <laughs> what what are you smoking over there? I know it's in America. We can go to Colorado, but you're do- you're obviously on drugs of some kind. Come clean no, the, here. the interesting thing with watches and things is the first one I built was in the previous version of QuickTime Player. It was an amazing thing because QuickTime was just com- uh, a container for all these things that you could put in it. I think it was called Live or something like that. But there was this amazing programming system and you could actually make a QuickTime movie that played in QuickTime Player and knew what the time was. And, and so I constructed my first one, which was, I used to have uh, the watch that I had on my wrist, and it was a fully skinned thing, so you only had the shape of the watch on the screen. Like, it, it wasn't actually in the in the QuickTime Player, it was, it was masked out. So it just sat on your desktop, and it was completely watch-shaped, and it had the right time on it. So I'd open a movie from scratch on my computer. You know, people would look at my wrist and look at the thing on the computer, and it was identical, which they always found very confusing. <laughs> wow. So it was a pretty daft trick, really. But, uh, wow. but yeah, having done that, I then had all the, uh, uh, all the rotations and everything for working out where the hands need to go. And the great thing with that, uh, the clock project, is, is that all the layers in Photoshop are in with the workspace. And so if you open them in Photoshop... You can, uh, you know, you can take any watch you want and just substitute the uh, the dial and the hands from that, and just put it back together again, and it will work with your clock. Or you can put two clocks side by side. I have another version of it that I did for someone who wanted a chess clock. And was so there's the t- was there a project for that in particular, or was that just you screwing around? What the chess clock? Yeah. No, that was a, that was a request from uh, someone. I think they were in Australia, and they wanted a. It was one of those Sunday morning things where they said that what I want is I want a card scoring system where I've got north, south, east and west and I can uh, have four, four keys for going up and down with those and I want a chess clock. And I thought, well, I've got yeah, I've got the real-time clock. That will probably take about 15 minutes. And well, That took so, 15 um, minutes to write? 
Really? Well, no, no having, the, having the other clock. Yeah, because all you're doing is you're putting two of them side by side and you've just got to put a few lines in for uh, stopping and pausing them, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it gets to zero, you just need to know when it's got to zero and things like that. It is yeah, this, this sort of crossword puzzle thing. Because someone said, uh, you know, how can I log the times of my performance to a file by you know, having cues in that write a file? So I told them on the Google group how to do it. And then I thought, right, in 45 minutes... I'm going to have that up on the cookbook with the picture, the example video and everything else. And I think I did it in 37, so I was quite pleased with that. (laughs) The Australia Opera House, I do a lot of video mapping myself, so to watch that tutorial was really fascinating. I did feel a little cheated when I got to the end and realized you were only mapping to a photo because I was trying to figure out where these projectors are based. Floating on yeah, but they, but they do do it. Uh, 59 Productions, a British video production company who have done a lot of stuff in, in New York as well. It's been a commission for the last seven years. They have a different projection artist, projection mapping onto the sails uh, uh, once a year. From across the water? Yeah, it's, it's, called, it's called Vivid Sydney. Where do you get, like a 20,000 lumen projector or something? Well, I think they've probably got about eight 20,000 20, lumen projectors. Wow. Yeah, Vivid Sydney, it's called Lighting the Sails, and they've done that every year since 2009. Wow. If you go to 59 Productions, they've got some films of them actually creating the stuff that they put on it, which is quite amazing. I mean, they had uh, models of the Opera House sails in copper and things, and they were attacking them with blowtorches and film them and then uh, mapping that back onto it for anyone that does video 59productions.co.uk they've got lots of films of that it's really inspiring i'm guessing they probably don't use qlab no i would imagine that that was done in uh, catalyst i have worked with some designers that do work there on smaller shows where i've uh, been doing the sound design and they've had a video design i think generally they're quite surprised at how capable QLab is, they're used to having Catalyst Media Server or uh, Hypotizer or something like that running off a uh, running. I think there's an, an interesting question here because, at least in the US, I have not seen QLab uh, really been embraced by the projection designers. It's definitely the de facto standard for sound designers. I don't know if it's ever been used for video on Broadway. I don't think so, to the best yeah, of my probably knowledge. probably hasn't, no. Is that similar to what you're seeing? Or uh, how do you see uh, video and projection designers? Uh, I think most of the shows in the West End, and, and certainly when I've done larger shows, uh, that they have been tending to be uh, media servers driven off uh, a quite large you know, lighting board, like a hog or a, a grandma or something like that. I haven't done a show in the West End on QLab. I'm fairly unusual in, in that I do do both sound design, video designs for for, uh, for sort of major companies and so quite a lot of the time I do the both at once uh, and I used to do it with you know, separate systems for vi- video and sound but uh, it's, it's actually a lot lot easier having it all in the same queue list really yeah i just did uh sound and projection design for a show and it was one queue lab list and it was fantastic because just coordinating you need a, a sound and you need a video transition transition and they have to be in sync it's not like let's run midi from a you know one machine to it. it's just like auto follow do you think there's a reason that projection designers are sort of reluctant to a? Uh, oh, there's use- one very major one, and this is it's the deal breaker for people that are used to uh, programming media servers, and it's uh, it's blending modes. Uh, Ooh, it's- yes. Yes, yeah. I've actually asked that. I've sent them a request to add that per queue. Yeah, I, th- I think they're fairly aware of uh, the fact that uh, a lot of people would like to uh, to, to see that. Blending modes are like in uh, Photoshop where you've got your layers and you can uh, add them, you can multiply them, you can apply masks and that's how you get that thing you know, that when you get the archetypal Photoshop montage where there's bits of uh, the pictures showing through other bits of the pictures in, in various different ways depending uh, what the blending modes are shown. 
And we're limited to only opacity. Is that the problem? Right. QLab only gives you opacity. You don't get all the, you know, light and dark and multiply, Mm -hmm. you know, all that Mm. stuff. But can I do that with video? A lot of people get around it using Quartz Composer. I've seen some quite amazing stuff done in QLab where people are using Quartz Composer patches to do the the masking and blending. I mean, that's about the one area where I haven't spent much time. I've I've just got on top of uh, Osculator, actually, in the last couple of days, Mm because that's... That's something that uh, yeah, I, I love know, that. It just it just didn't click, but now it's clicked. It's great, and I went I sent my son up into the loft, so I've got the Wiimote and the balance board out now. So, I'm, uh, <laughs> so, so cool. I've been, <laughs> so I've been running about twenty five channels of control from uh, from that. Yeah, I think Quartz Composer is the great un, you know hidden mega tool that we often miss. I used four or five uh, Quartz Composer files in my show. I noticed you've been using a lot of Touch OSC stuff. I mean, I think I prefer the Lima. I mean, I mean it's about twenty dollars more expensive. But well, the main reason I like the Lima is that you do the stuff on the you edit the stuff on the Mac, and it's there on the uh, uh, the iPad straight away. Whereas with the you know the Touch OSC, you have this whole dance you have to go through every time you want to transfer the stuff from the uh, editor onto the iPad. And the other thing is that the Lima has a complete oh. uh, C-like uh, programming language and th- as, as well. Sometime in the next week, I'll put up you know, the four-channel auto panel, which it's got the Lima bouncing ball object, which basically is uh, it's a square, uh, and you've got balls within it that uh, have got you can apply physics models to, and they just bounce around all by themselves. And I've got them controlling uh, wow. all the faders. But obviously, in, in order to do that, you have to be able to uh, you know, scale the stuff and be able to interact with the numbers within Lima that you can't really do with touch osc because it doesn't really have any computational power built into into it you, you know you can label things and things but hmm. uh, you, you have to do everything go uh, within the program you're sending to with that whereas with the with the lima you can do a lot within the lima before it uh, that goes on to qlab okay i'm buying it right now <laughs> yeah, I just it's, clicked. It's, it's, it's well worth it i want to go back for a second to the discussion about why we're not seeing QLab used more broadly for video. It occurs to me that the other thing that I think is at play is that a lot of projection designers are really used to manipulating their work with a lightboard. To move from something that you're controlling from a lightboard that you're sort of treating like a moving light and moving to something like QLab it's a whole different way of thinking about it. And in fact, it's one of the reasons that I use QLab for my projection work is because I hate the idea of controlling a media server with a lightboard. It's never made sense to me. No, it doesn't, it doesn't make and sense at all. My brain just... No, there's, there's, there's another point, though, with, uh, with most uh, projection designers is not only they're used to controlling it with a lightboard, they're used to having a lightboard operator as their programmer right. and that's quite a big distinction is is that traditionally in the sound design field certainly as far as plays go the sound designer has generally since we've had software-based sound design tools then the sound designer sits there and programs it up I mean, it's, it's very rare on a play that you'll see a sound designer and a separate programmer but generally on the larger shows with projection there will be a programmer who probably started as a lighting programmer and has specialized more and more in that I mean, I think that, you know, the thing with operating it uh, on, a, on a lighting board is, is that it does scale up slightly better because you can, can have a single lighting console that's controlling perhaps 50 different media servers that are doing four screens each. 
And then the other thing about it is that uh, because it's a frame-based system, because uh, you know, it's generally on DMX, is that if you pull the plug out, all the pictures will stay the same until they, they get told to do something different. So I, I think once you've got beyond what you can achieve uh, with the single QLab system, although there are ways of networking lots of Macs together within QLab to do that, uh, quite often when you get to that size, it is easier to do it with the media server uh, running off a, uh, a light board. Yeah, I mean, I think the question of scale is uh, very important. And I was last year at Broadway Projection Design Masterclasses, and Dan Scully showed hookup for Rocky on Broadway, where they had, I don't know how many dozen live video cameras manipulated by actors and maybe two dozen flat screen TVs that were just pretending to be fish tanks and all these, you know, a dozen projectors, another dozen TVs, and they were running it off a D3 server. Mm. And on, on that kind of show, it makes sense. I mean, you couldn't build that show in QLab. You need so many inputs, so many outputs. And then you have understudy issues for all the video clips that feature actors and what the D3 system calls understudies for if one of the servers crashes and another server has to take its place on the fly and all that stuff. So I I, I certainly don't think media servers are ever going to go away, but I do, I see lots of opportunities on smaller shows for projection designers to to use QLab and make their lives much easier. In the sort of theater areas where I'm working, usually projection designers, if they're using software, they're using Isadora, which Mm. is almost always overly complicated for what we need in theater. And takes a credible amount of time to program because you need to build your whole interface essentially as you go. I think a good compromise is for things where I do need uh, blending, I tend to use Resolume, but drive it off QLab because you know, everything's mappable in Resolume and, and it does have a really good preset system so you can set up the looks uh, and you can fire those from QLab but then you can manipulate uh, individual parameters. Uh, within it and i think that's a good compromise where you do want to do the uh, blending mode thing but no i mean like when i see people on smaller shows it's almost painful to watch sometimes as they're (laughs) they're just working so hard to do the most basic things (laughs) oh i I mean that's that's what i'm talking about yeah and they're trying to do i mean i saw a video programmer take an entire tech rehearsal trying to program a five second fade from one image to another and doing it in isadora and they couldn't figure out how to make the fade smooth or adjust mm-hmm. the fade curve. I was the sound designer. I was sitting at the sound console with my op, and I was like, just for fun, I'm going to build this fade. And I did it in QLab, and I did it in five seconds. And I was like, see that? You know, that's what they're trying to do across the room there, that they're taking oh, the God. entire rehearsal. Oh, yeah. I'm sometimes on smaller shows, wow. I, mean, I have to really sit on my hands hard, because if I'm just doing the sound and someone else is doing the video design and on a laptop with one of those programs we've just mentioned, and, uh, you know, you just... Sometimes you really have to bite your lip for a long time because you, you, know, you say, "Yeah, we could be on. The, we could be in Act Two by now." If it, yeah, if yeah. yeah. Just, just give it, give me, just yeah. give me. I couldn't your do content. it. I couldn't keep my mouth quiet. But, but with the QLab, I did a project called the Big House in London. Basically, they come together and for the first six weeks that they're sort of taught how to work as a company really and it just gets them to the point where they can actually commit to a a four-week rehearsal period and then they do a four-week run of generally quite complex shows we tend to do those in in found spaces so i did a lot with these very long thin screens and it was the first time i'd really used the edge blending uh within qlab and and it's just amazing really i mean i mean you know how 
how finished that is as a thing now, in, you know, certainly since version 3.1. Is it that the edge blends in QLab are as good as the edge blends in any other program now? I think it's it's really come on a lot in the in the last six months, really. Yeah, I mean that that was uh, definitely mm-hmm. one of the things that a lot of the video designers were waiting for. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really interesting to hear that the blending modes maybe are the last thing that some designers are waiting for. That that one didn't even. I mean, it's been on my list, but. That hasn't really occurred to me as a reason not to use the program. The level of particularly opera designs and everything else now, it's now really seen as an extension of the whole visual palette. But in order to get it there, the video programming really, in the last five years, has really upped its game. The sort of really subtle things that people do with colour and everything else, just making the video lay back sufficiently into the set and other layers of video so it's almost you know, indistinguishable from the, the colours and textures of the lighting is really important. And I think you can't quite do that in QLab yet. And a lot of that is the blending modes. You can do the colour thing mm-hmm. now. Although it has to be said that you know, inserting a lot of the video effects uh, it does uh, put an incredible amount of latency in line. Like you know, if you put a, a serious blur on something, then you're looking at the video about a second mm-hmm. later. Yeah, I've, I've never yeah. used the uh, live rendered QLab video effects. Oh, they're great. I mean, they're the, in the cookbook, use them for the, the, titles. the titles. Yeah. yeah, the titles thing. And those blur titles, I think, uh, uh, you know, considering that they're done in real time and they're they're actually quite remarkable really because again they're not using any resources other than the QLab program and the fonts that are on the system considering they're rendering in real time and if you rendered that in After Effects or something it would probably chug through it to you know about sort of perhaps two or three frames a second within QLab you can do that at 50 frames a second as a without too much trouble at all. Wouldn't a lot of these effects that they're doing, they're not really real-time effects, so why not just do that in Final Cut and do your blend modes in there? Is it because most of this stuff is live? Well, it's not so much that it's live, it's that as soon as you've rendered it out, then where a new piece of material comes in is fixed on the timeline. Yeah, that's the same question mm-hmm. as, you mm-hmm. know, why don't you just put all your sound cues, you know, yeah. in, in one audio file? It's, it's about being able to <laughs> cue things. Right. The flexibility and make the adjustments in real time when you want to do it and get it tweaked. It's more the stuff coming in at arbitrary points instead of on a fixed point in a timeline, but still having the complexity of, of a blend as opposed to just being at an opacity value. For instance, you've mm-hmm. got some storm cloud video playing in the background throughout a whole scene and on a certain line, you need some lightning and the lightning is another video and you're using a lighten blend mode to uh, exactly. superimpose it over mm-hmm. your storm clouds, and so it has to come on a certain line, so you can't pre-program it, but you need gotcha. the blending modes. I gotcha. That kind of thing. Which, in most cases, the huge benefit of QLab over previous technologies is precisely that you can follow the actors. You can make almost anything queuable. And so one of the nice things is, is about being able to fade parameters of audio effects as a queue because you don't need to know exactly when things are going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons I got into video, because I mean, I'd been doing sound for probably 20 years before I started doing video design. It was to do with the queuing, because in the late 90s, I was doing a lot of shows with quite high-powered video graphics people, uh, you know, people that had done the idents for um, major television series and things like that. And, uh, and they'd come in, and all the way through the rehearsals, they'd be creating this incredible footage, and then you got into the theatre... And the actor would say the line, and you go, where's the video? Or you'd have you know, scenes where the actors are interacting with the other characters that are pre-filmed and things like that, and they were having to alter their performance, and then they wanted to do it in a different way, and then it had to go away, be re-edited. 
basically directors were saying to me, well, when we do sound, we don't have to do that. You know, the actors do what they like and the sound follows exactly what they're doing because you've broken it up into blocks and you've thought about how you can have a, a sequence that sounds to an audience as if it's finished, but it's all been broken up into component parts so it can be cued around what the actors are doing. And they said, why can't we do that with video? And I said, well, uh, you probably can. And they said, well, you better find out how to do it. And... Uh, uh, and that's that's sort of pretty much how I became a video designer. But but it was just you know applying the things that by that stage just taken as given is what you do in, in a sound design, and then trying to apply it to video designs. And then gradually all the video designers that were used to working in, in li linear forms like you know, television and film got their heads around uh, how the tools worked for doing it in theatre and uh, sort of caught up again. But I had a little sort of brief niche where where the fact I could do what I did. That sort of trumped the fact that they were actually you know, far more proficient in, in terms of what the final content looked like than what I was doing. What, what do you call it? What's your title? Are you a video designer? Or are you a sound I'm both. designer? Sometimes I'm one or the other. Are you a lighting designer as well? No, I'm, I've, I trained in uh, lighting and I did about a year of it, but uh, only in a school situation. Do you run lighting from QLab as well sometimes to talk to their board or is it is that uh, still separate? Sometimes. I'm like, I think generally that uh, the reason that doesn't happen too much over here is that because the, the runs are so short that by the time you've actually got all those things coordinated, so by the time everyone's finished their individual bits of work, then when you wrap all that together so it can be run off a single system, you know, the run's nearly over. Or And if it's a, lo a show that's going to run for a longer time, then generally the budget's there and uh, and people aren't so interested in making that saving. I mean, I've done some shows where we've just had a, a third QLab system running lights, sound and video, and someone's job is... To program that but more often what happens is that we'll know that when the designers go away that uh, perhaps the stage manager is going to run the video and the sound together off the same computer and that's quite easy to arrange because it, it, it just you've got you know generally mm -hmm. if you're doing the video you've got the sound designer next to you and if the sound design is going to be the master computer then you just ask them to drop um, you know midi ip queue in or something uh, or, or an osc queue mm -hmm. Uh, where you need them generally they can keep up with doing that with the sound programming but i think once you, as soon as you involve the lighting in that as well by the time everything's settled and you think all oh, right let's get this master queue list actually sorted out that quite often yeah there's only another two weeks of the run left <laughs> right i'm at version 582 for my show <laughs> file so i've been working on the same show so my stuff yeah. does have lights in it we have been uh, discussing several times on the show the dream that QLab will integrate a lighting system into it. Uh, anything special that you would want in that? Like, you know, one of the things I had to show that was abandoned, but we were looking at uh, uh, having moving head projectors on it, and so I wanted to do that from within uh, within QLab and actually interface with something that would uh, hmm. d would do the DMX. So, yeah, so, so, yeah. so uh, yeah, the, the, there's probably a... A case for it, but I think there's a few other things that need to be. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it's, we get to that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that it's a dream of mine for a QLab to turn into a lighting program. The uh, the sound and video disciplines and the lighting discipline are so completely different in what a cue means, how designers think about cueing. Uh, I I don't think it would particularly make any sense uh, <laughs> to try to make. Uh, a program that's a lighting program and and everything else that QLab is because 
you know, obviously in the lighting world, you proceed through a show a queue at a time, you know what queue you're in, you know what queue comes next, you can't be in 10 queues at a time. Where would you be in the queue list if you're in a light queue and also three sound queues ahead? And it doesn't make sense within the queue lab paradigm. Oh, it's everything. Trust me. Once you go into the rabbit hole, your whole world opens up. I just can't even imagine living without well, that. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about uh, what you do, Mark, and I'm not talking about using you know LX console or something and triggering it from QLab. I'm I'm just saying right. I don't want to see QLab become natively a uh, lighting controller. Oh, on top yeah. of its everything else. I mean, it's I think the, the, well. the big difference, of course, is the tracking, isn't it? Is sound. We don't expect it to track necessarily. You know, if we go in in the middle of the queue list, we know mm-hmm. that we've got to go back, pick up uh, whatever the MIDI right. program changes to the sound desk was manually. Whereas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lighting. Because right. It, I mean, that's that's what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. the the brain of a lighting console is much much simpler than QLab's brain. You're only in one state at a time. You're in a state, but at the same time, though, it's arriving at that state through tracking through everything else, isn't it? If you're on a tracking console, it may know that, you know, a value hasn't changed for the last 10 queues. So it's also, right, that value is in the state from uh, 10 queues ago. So there's that too. Well, I've never used tracking. I actually avoid it for the exact reason of how I set up my lighting cues. I use three systems simultaneously. I use LX console through DMX, and then I use MIDI show control if they have moving lights of their console. And then I also use Avalite. I'll also trigger an Avalite board uh, through a different MIDI setup. So in Avalites and Hogs or whatever, I I do have the tracking option, but I always avoid it because I'm really just making a MIDI show control palette. Right, it doesn't make sense for you because the ordering of the cues. Right. So, Mick, what's like your greatest triumph with QLab? What kind of crate, aside from the watch, um, which I'm going to actually see if I can get that to run on my uh, iWatch. Um, you know, what, what's like the craziest use you've used QLab for? Do you, does it make uh, coffee for you? Does it cut your grass? No, what, no. What like as I say, when it actually hits the shows, I'm a fairly conservative program. And I've, I mean, I've interfaced it with pads and things like that and about to do a show where, uh, which is uh, set in a container. Uh, but so uh, there's no suggestion of uh, anything metallic within the space. It's probably just going to be a taped square. But uh, everything that happens in that space is, is is going to sound as if it is within a shipping container. It's quite fun, I think. Wow. No, and I've got a nice show coming up, uh, which we did last year for because the Tour de France, uh, you know, the big cycle race. So we did a play about a cyclist called Beryl Burton, who was uh, like sort of active in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and just about had every title going. And it's wow. done with uh, four actors on uh, bikes on uh, rollers. So the, the sound design is quite interesting because it goes, you know, like 50s, 60s and 70s. Uh, so there's lots of music. There's about 25 cycle races in it, which when you're staging <laughs> with four actors, like everyone has to be slightly different. So there's lots of live mics and commentary mics and things like that. We also do, like when they go off on the, like the club rides and things, like we've got rolling video sort of shot from the back of cars and things as the backdrops yeah. to that so that's quite a good workout for QLab so we're actually doing two versions of that we're reviving it this year and it's going to play uh, what we call number two uh, theatres which are uh, sort of six to eight hundred seats but then we're doing uh, rural community touring which is literally just uh, uh, doing a version of it that will uh, come out the back of a van fit up in three hours and play in as long as there's an electricity supply in the venue and they can black it out uh, then the show will take place there and pretty much we've uh, we we're doing all the video and all the sound that's uh, that's happening in the big theater versions 
in village halls, which which again is uh, is something that Q Labs really good at is uh, uh, is scaling back the show so that we'll have far less speakers, but we'll just use the you know the original program and just very quickly matrix it down uh, to however many speakers uh, are appropriate for the for the venue and then we can uh, run it on the three projectors that it runs on normally or if necessary just reassign the screens to uh, a single projector but retaining the same look of it so so that's quite exciting and it's a good use of uh, of QLab. that sounds really cool i'd love to see that disaster he died he, he died in a bizarre gardening accident you screwed up that was tragic really he exploded on stage fix it review you had on shark sandwich which was merely a two-word review of just a shit sandwich welcome to tales of disaster you screwed up you gotta fix it what are you gonna do Tell us your stories. Send them in, and we're going to put them on the air. There's a fine line between stupid and, and clever. It's like flash of green light, and that was it. Any, uh, any disasters? No, not really, no. I mean, I've, I've only had one completely terrible thing happen on a prestigious show, Touchwood, but... Uh, uh, I did a production of Dangerous Corner. It's one of those uh, priestly time plays. There's something where... Uh, where, where the time jumps and and in our production uh, i think in the in the original it's, it's just a radio broadcast or something that, uh, that does this package of uh, passage of time this was a, a show i mean it had quite a lot of sound in it but it had uh, one video cue that lasted 1.75 seconds and uh, basically the, the the audience had been looking at this uh, it was it was like a, a room in a modern house in a forest with a big glass window looking out over the silver birch trees and everything else uh, and then the video cue was now flying into the window, which shattered with a massive, great sound effect. Worked fine. I mean, it had been done in uh, uh, the tryout theatre. It was in uh, the West End. It was press night. I was sort of sat there, you know, waiting for this <laughs> this great effect, which uh, which yeah, everyone saw. Thought, oh, that's 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 an incredible effect. And the cue came, and the, the sound effect went no video at all and then in the last 0.25 seconds the last <laughs> bit of glass suddenly appeared and, uh, and the owl wing was just going out of shot and, uh, and then, yeah, like, this <laughs> was actually fairly tragic really but what had happened is because there was only one video cue and uh, we were using uh, a mechanical shutter built into the barco projector so it had been sitting there for the whole of Act 1 and half of Act 2 and basically just welded shut. So after that we had to build in uh, sort of lots of exercise cues for the uh, for the shutter. So in every scene change the shutter would uh, open and close a few times. I mean, I mean, in a way it was quite fun because uh, like all the, all the press were at that one. They'd sort of got a, a whiff of the fact that there was this amazing video effect in them. But they were the only people that uh, never saw it. But uh, obviously... I missed out on quite a lot of good reviews <laughs> for it because people just didn't know it was meant to be there. You know, they just heard this lar- large glass thing and they right. thought, "Oh, well, that, is that is that is that it?" So that that's probably my only major disaster in a in an actual performance. Yeah. Well, every time I walk on stage, I have a disaster. So it's <laughs> the nature of my job. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, I, this I, is... I, I mean, I've worked with a lot of companies where the sort of control chaos is part of it, and there's no expectation that uh, that things are going to be uh, perfect or achievable. You know, it's more of a sort of balancing act. 
you know, generally most of the work I, I is finished and programmed, and uh, I suppose sort of fairly linear by the time it uh, the time it ends up uh, in you know, out of previews and in front of the audience. Right. I mean, that's what makes theater so interesting, and why I love QLab so much because it can stabilize lighting, sound, and video for me. And then the mayhem in my own performance and my own personal screw-ups are yeah. diminished by the perfection of at least the lights and the sound. You know, so I'm kind of covered in that way, but not uh, not necessarily in my own risks that I'm taking. Yeah. McPool's QLab Cookbook website, which is at QLabCookbook.com, uh, is the site that we've been talking about here. Well, Mick, this has been absolutely fascinating, and I think we have a lot more to talk about. I'd love to have you back sometime. Is that yeah, uh, yeah. some, something you could do? Yeah, sure. Wonderful. Thank you, Mick. I'll close with a little quote here. We are all stuck with technology when what we really want is just stuff that works. Douglas Adams. The Q is produced by Active Media Group in association with the Q Show cast. Music for The Q was written and performed by Kyle Swafford. For more information and links to our blog, online tutorials, cast, and videos, please visit theqshow.com. You can contact us at info at theqshow.com. Now go out and make something, and you too can go to 11.